Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is author, activist, marathoner, coach, multi-hyphenate, Martinez Evans, founder of the Slow AF Run Club and author of the new book, The Slow AF Run Club. He is here today for a wide-ranging conversation. We talk about a lot of stuff, but we are specifically talking about ways that we can make the sport of running more inclusive for all runners, from training advice to the way that we approach how we talk about the sport of running, the ways that we can make races inclusive for more participants, and Martinez's experience being a marathoner and a coach who lives in a larger body. Now, you know my stance on this. Running is for everyone. I genuinely believe that, and Martinez does too. The book is excellent. If you haven't read it yet, I highly suggest that you do. It's full of incredibly practical advice. It is available now at all major retailers. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation that we have. Martinez, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Liz, thank you for having me. So my very first question to all my guests is, how did you become a runner? Oh, my God. Are you ready for this? Listeners, listen to me through this microphone into your speakers in your ears. In 2012, I was working at Men's Warehouse. I was a suit salesman. I was selling suits on my feet, eight to 10 hours a day, and hard bottom shoes. Has to be the worst thing you can ever wear for your shoes, for your feet. I end up developing uh, some hip issues, which then sent me to a doctor. I thought I was going to the doctor for some hip issues, but the doctor had a whole nother thing for me. So I go there and he's like, you, you were here for some hip pain? Yeah. Okay. I know why you're in pain. Okay, why? It's because you're fat. What? You're fat. And then he goes on this whole tangent of like, you're fat. You either need to lose weight or die. You got a stomach of a pregnant woman. Like, just trying to like dog me out. And if you know anything about me, and you know anything about my personality on the internet, that is just not going to fly. So we had a full-blown argout, knockout, dragout argument. Um, I wanted to put hands on this man, but I didn't. So I say to him, you know, I'll run a marathon. And he was like, you run a marathon? That's the most stupidest thing I heard in all of my years of practicing medicine. And I'm like, huh? So we continue to argue. I storm out the doctor's office. And on my way home, I'm still ruminating about this doctor. And... I see a running shoe store. I make a illegal U-turn. I go inside the running shoe store and I tell them I need running shoes and I need them now. I go home and in my apartment complex, there's this fitness center. There's three treadmills in there. Two of the treadmills is already filled up. There is one treadmill open and it's in the middle. So I get on the treadmill. I look to my left. Somebody's running 10. I look to my right. Somebody's running nine. I think to myself, I can at least do seven. As the belt is running in between my legs, I remember saying to myself, here goes nothing. Next thing I know, boom, I'm on the ground. I instantly grab my stuff. I'm terrified. The guys look at me and say, hey, bro, are you okay? I instantly grab my stuff and I get the hell up out of there. 
that's how I started running. In your book, because we're here to talk about the book yeah. that you have written that I think is an excellent book, especially for anybody who's new to the sport. That very first run, I think you said about 15 seconds, start to finish. 15 seconds. <laughs> but you grand kept opening, running. Grand closing. You kept running. You kept going. And you are now a multiple marathoner and a running coach and an author and an activist in our space. Yes, absolutely. So the thing that really stopped me from like quitting was when I got home, I reached out to turn the doorknob. I have this tattoo on my wrist that says, no struggle, no progress from Frederick Douglass. And I remember looking at it and it stopped me. And I looked at the looked at my wrist and I remember shaking my head and being like, okay, this is it. This is what I got to do. So I met the doctor in about June of 2012. I ran my first marathon, October 2013. Yeah. And how did it go? <laughs> it was a trip. <laughs> it was a trip. So um, the race was amazing. Starting out, you know, just nervous. Um, just all the types of ner nervous energy that happens with running a race. Like my mom did not know what a marathon was. So I remember talking to her. And her being like, oh, like, you about to go run a race? Like, how how long is this thing? Like, yeah, I'll come. And I remember being like, well, I'm probably going to be out there about seven-ish, eight, eight hours. And her be like, what? How far are you running? And I was like, 26 miles? And she's like, oh, pfft. I need to come. What if you stroke out or something? I need to be there. What? I'm, I'm just going to be there. So my mom came. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, came. And, you know, we just went on this journey and I ran the race initially. Um, it went pretty well until about around mile 19, around mile 19. Um, I was introduced to what I know now is the sag wagon. So for anybody who knows about the sag wagon, I call it the Paggy wagon. It's the wagon that's either support athletes. So like picking them up, taking them to the finish line for all like the injured people who can't finish anymore or like, passing out water, things of that sort. So I get to about mile 19 and I come across this guy who's also like, he starts to walk. So I have this conversation with him and I'm like, Hey man, like you can do this. Uh, we can do this together. And he was like, I know what you're trying to do, but I'm done. Deuces. So he gets in this, he gets in this van and then the van takes off and I continue to run and I'm having this inner dialogue with myself. Myself is like, like you should have gotten a van too. Um, but I, I keep going. And then next thing you know, mile after mile, the van keeps coming. Hey, big man, you want to ride? At first I thought nothing of it. Like, no, I'm okay. I'm good. But then he just kept coming. Hey, big man, you want to ride? Hey, big man, you want to ride? And it hit me like, is he taunting me? Is he taunting me? So I, I still run and like I'm having this inner dialogue, like the inner dialogue is getting stronger in my head. My body is like, yo, if you stop right now and you get in that van, like the pain would go away. But my heart is like, no, you need to keep going because you came here for you came here for a reason. Mile 25 comes less than a mile away. The van comes again. Hey, big man, you want to ride? And I blow up. We have this argument, this debate, like, because I'm just so many things going through my mind. And I ask him, like, why would you ask me to get in this van when I'm less than a mile away? Like, I can crawl a mile, 
And he said something on the lines of, like, I can't help it that you're fat and slow. So we had some choice words. Wow, yeah. <laughs> we had some choice words. And overall, I finished the race. And, like, you know, after, you know, having that initial elated feeling of seeing my, my mom and my wife there and, like, cheering. And then um, they, they I, I stare down this van and my wife is like, like, who is that? I'm like, there's nobody important. And then I just go on all about my life. But, like, that was my race. And it was, it was, it was amazing and shitty at the same time. And your experience obviously is not unique, right? You have connected with so many runners around the country and around the world who are just regular people trying to run their best races and are never going to be standing atop the podium. And let's be honest, like most of us who run are normal people, but there is so much messaging in the running community about what a runner quote unquote should look like or the goals they should have. And I just don't understand that kind of gatekeeping. Like for, if you run, you are a runner. Like if you, if you complete a marathon, you are a marathoner. I don't care how long it takes two hours. Awesome. 10 hours. Awesome. It's still a marathon. And like, so maybe this is just my naivete, but this kind of pushback that people who are out there doing really awesome, hard things are getting makes no sense to me. Like we should be celebrating this. Like who asks you to quit one mile before the end of a marathon? That just, that just is crazy to me. It is crazy. And gatekeeping and running is a real thing. Um, I don't know who these people are, or I, I have a, uh, um, have a hypothesis of who these people are, but it, it's, it's crazy and it's outrageous. And for a sport where, um, for a lot of people picked up during the pandemic um, and want to keep it going and want to explore, like, what does it look like to run a race? They have these stories from other people, from other slow individuals, from other plus size individuals. Like, oh, I had a horrible experience running a race. Like, I wouldn't do it for you. And it's because of, like, these gatekeeping individuals. So, for example... I remember complaining to somebody of like, hey, I ran this race and they ran out of water. And like their response was like, ah, like you just need to lose weight and get faster. It's like, what? I paid my money, my green dollar to be a part of this race. I should deserve water just like the next person. And B, who are you to tell me to lose weight and get faster? You don't know me. You don't know my journey. And I think it's a lot of, what's the word I want to use? Like DEI is like a big thing these days, um, you know, but I think the last missing piece of DEI is size inclusivity. That's missing in the running industry. And I think that's missing all over. This is not an uncommon conversation I have with runners, runners who I coach or runners who I do consults with or runners who just ask me questions and they, you know, we're, they're training for a specific distance and they are concerned about the cutoff or if they sign up for a race and, you know, they're running whatever the distance is, one of their biggest fears is not being able to finish the race in time or not knowing what happens if they want to continue past the cutoff time, right? Are they going to be forced off the course when does the course support stop right you said like not even just running out of water when the aid stations are still technically up but like 
they're packing up the aid stations, right? So, you know, I, I was thinking about this too. Like, it does seem like we're moving towards being more inclusive, but it's still very hit or miss in how that's actually playing out in the way that our races are run, the way that the races are supported, the kind of gear that's being offered to runners of all sizes. Like this, you know, and I'm going to be really cynical here and say, it's a stupid economic choice not to include everybody, right? Because every, you know, these are people who want to come into our sport and participate. And you've made this point in your book. You're like, it's so hard to find, you know, running gear in sizes above a certain plate, but it's like people of all sizes need to buy clothes. Right. Especially ones who are runners and that stuff, like we all know running gear is not cheap. People want to spend money on these things. They want to participate in races. They want to have this experience and they're willing to participate it's just that sometimes they're not able to in the way that they should be able to. So here's my thing. You know, they say that the majority of the United States is over overweight, obese, that whatever that number is, right? They want us to lose weight and run, but they don't provide clothing for us to do those things. And then my thing with these brands is like, do you not like money? I think just from a a, a, a economics standpoint of it why aren't you serving the majority so if all of us if the majority of the united states is fat or whatever you want to call it why aren't you serving those individuals because it's more of those individuals than the smaller individuals just think about like market size but yet they they still fall into this whole notion and this whole trope of like plus size people are not active plus size people don't do this they, they think we're just at home Sitting on the couch, laying on the couch with a bucket of chicken and ice cream on, on our bellies, and we scooping the ice cream with the piece of chicken, and we eating ice cream at the same time. We not doing that. We active. We move around, and we just want the same thing that you are guaranteeing for everybody else. Why is that so hard? How much? Is, so, considering your experience in the last decade since you've been running. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know the answer, but I, I don't know what I'm going to hear. I hope it's something positive. <laughs> Has it gotten any better? Slowly. Marginally better. It, it has gotten better, but very marginally. We even think about most of the larger races out there. They still stop at like a 2X. Some races just go up to a 1X when it comes to race shirts. So throughout my 10 years of running running races, I can count on my hand the amount of race t-shirts I have. Because most of the time, I give them away. Or I don't even take it. When they're like, here, here's your, your shirt. I'm like, oh, I can't fit that. Like, I can keep that. And you, they're like, you sure? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. It's just going to be a waste of time, a waste of heartbreak. Like, I just don't need it. So you have that there. I think um, there are a lot more races that are starting to get on the bandwagon of like celebrating um, all races and all paces. Um, I think the advent of like the rock and roll series kind of like helped that because, you know, I don't think I, I, I personally necessarily don't think they're doing like prize money or like they're trying to be a part of like world athletics and things of that sort. So they, they don't necessarily have to go along with some of the other races so I think like the advent of that, I also think about, you know, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, like celebrate them, support, you know, shout out to them. I think about some of the races that like Hawaii 
where they don't even have a time limit. It's like you out there, you gonna finish where you when you gonna finish, and we're gonna be there. Um, you have those little pockets, but is it as plentiful as all of the races out there? No. Let's talk about, I think, some of just the very real big obstacles for non-traditional runners who want to run or who want to, you know, kind of find that next level in their running. One of the things you talked about in your book is not only overcoming the voice in our own head, like the things that we tell ourselves, everybody has that their voice in the head kind of chatting away. And sometimes those things are really not nice, but that sometimes there are not sometimes that there are also these societal things. And sometimes they said to your face about who, you know, who they think you are or what they think you can and cannot do. Um, in the runners that you've talked to over the course of your years of running and, and your own experience, you know, how can we support people to help push those types of societal pressures out of their way? I think the first thing is the notion that you're not a runner unless you're trying to become a Boston qualifier just needs to get out of there, like out of there. You know, I don't even, I know why, but like that whole notion in itself that if you're not running to get faster and to get that arbitrary number where it's like, oh, I did this, we just need to overall get that out there. I understand, I personally understand that, you know, for some of these race series, like it's all about world athletics and world, what all the, you know, all the championships and things of that sort. Cool. And my thing is, if that's the case, and if, if that's what you want to do, only have the 100, 100 or so people there racing. Don't open it up to nobody else. But that's not true because there's so many other benefits to having the people run race. There's charity runners. How much money is raised running from charities? I think the New York City Marathon is like the largest single fundraising event in the world. It's so astounding. Exactly. exactly. So... I know finances is a, is a part of this. So finances is a part of this. We just need to let go of some of these notions that we had. You know, I went to a conference and I remember a race director being like, well, you know, we do things the old way, which is the right way in my sense. And we have pace cutoffs and yada, 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 and things of that sort. And like, that's just the way it should be. And I'm like, sir, your race won't be around much longer then because with the advent of the internet, with people talking, you know, with the Slow F Run Club and other communities out there, we are now picking and choosing what races we want to support and what races we want to go to that's going to give us the, the experience that we would like. And for most of us, we just want basic stuff. We want water on the course, throughout the whole course. We want our, we want the... Um, the little race direction signs and the course signs to still be up so we don't get lost. We want a medal when we finish. We want a t-shirt that fits us. You would think like that's it's easy stuff. But I think for a lot of individuals and a lot of companies and a lot of race directors, you know, they, they hide behind the guise of like, oh, but we got to work with municipalities and like these are limits and things of that sort. And my thing is, can you not get creative? I understand municipalities and limits and hiring off-duty police guards and all of that stuff, but can you not get creative in the rules that you have? And for a lot of them, it's like, oh, municipalities. 
I'm just gonna throw my hands up. I, I don't know what to do. Throw my throw stuff to the ground. Oh, the city, the city won't let us stay open another hour. So y'all slow runners, we don't know what to tell y'all. And then my question is, can you get creative? You understand that the, municip the municipality has this limit. Is there a way that you could have a Dawn Patrol? This is my question. At what time are you outside uh, putting up race barriers and cones and things of that sort? Is there not a way that you can like have a, a, a early start for the people who feel like they um, can't finish the race within the particular course limit? You can have the timing mats out there. Like, the timing mats are already going to be out there, right? And all they got to do is run across the start line and continue to run, right? And you tell them, hey, for Dawn Patrol or whatever you want to call it, like, stay on this side of the road until, like, the elites come by, and then, like, you're free to game. That's just a creative, a creative aspect, right? And I think for a lot of people, they just go with, well, this is the way it's always been done. Throw his hands in the air. I don't know what to do. Don't know what to tell y'all. Because you're not trying. Um, I think I didn't went on a whole rant about your question. No, that's I'm really passionate about this. Um, but like to get back to that, like taking back, taking away the notion of like physical activity is the only benefit for physical activity is for weight loss or aesthetics. Flat out, that notion just needs to go away. Because there's so many benefits that comes with regular physical activity um, that individuals can enjoy. And most of the people won't even do it because they have that whole thing of like, oh, I've been running for this long or oh, I've been exercising for this long and I haven't lost any weight. So why even do it? So I'm just going to give up because they're tied to the whole thing of, you know, we've been indoctrinated that if you exercise, that then equals weight loss. We just need to get rid of that. I actually, I recently had to add something to my website on our coaching section that like, we don't coach weight loss. If you are like, we don't, that's not even in the realm of what we do. Like if you want to run for performance and performance, meaning if you have a running goal to finish yeah. a distance of any length or you're chasing a pace target of any time, whatever it is, that's performance. That is completely independent of any weight loss. And I don't even touch that with a 10 foot pole. Yes. It does that mean that running is bad for you if you're if you can run a marathon but you haven't lost weight? Like I just it's weird the way that we talk about these things sometimes. It is and it's frustrating because we've just been indoctrinated to think exercise me equals weight loss. And that's not necessarily the case. Um so that's one thing. I think I think I've already touted on the whole elitist I'm a BQ type of thing that just needs to get out of there. Um and I think the last one is the fact of like, just overall, I think the thing that we need to be focusing on is the joy that running or just physical activity provides. We need less shame and more joy. The thing that I sometimes feel that when somebody else expresses their goals, other people have like a, an opinion or a reaction to that, right? Why does what one person A, well, person A is trying to achieve and person B is trying to achieve, unless they're literally competing against each other on the world stage, right? They have nothing to do with each other, right? 
if my goal is to run a certain distance in a certain time and your goal is to run a certain distance in a certain time and our goals and are wildly different, my goal doesn't affect you and your goal doesn't affect me. So, so like, why are we feeling feelings and having emotions about other people's goals? It's because we put a, a cast system um, with running and we do that with time. And like, since my time is lower than your time, I'm a better runner or IE, I'm a better person than you because I can run a mile faster than you. And it sucks. It sucks. You know, why just can't it be we both running the same distance and we just, we both are having fun and you do what you do. I'm going to do what I need, I need to do, but we all going to celebrate and then go home. I have seen runners who should be finding joy, I hope, or should be finding joy in what they are doing, look at what you're experiencing, what you're describing, right? That caste system, oh, the pressure of it, but oh, but I, I think I should be getting faster. Shouldn't my goal be this? And then it just sucks the joy and the success and the progress and, and the things about what they actually are doing. So instead of enjoying where they are in the journey that they're on, they're looking over into somebody else's lane and then saying, why am I not that person? And it yeah. sucks to see that. I mean, you know, we say comparison is a thief of joy, but when it's being like forced on you, sometimes with this really, really subtle messaging about just the way that we talk about our sports sometimes, and I think it just seeps into our language, unfortunately, that you know, it, it's probably gonna take a long time to really unpack. I hate to see it, and it sucks to feel that way. Yes, it, <laughs> it's trash. Like literally control alt delete. It is it's horrible. And I think that is the thing that I spend most of the time coaching my clients on and coaching the, the members of the run club on is that your race is your race. You can't look to the next person. But for a lot of people, comparison is like innate with them. It's like, but, oh, I have a friend and they're doing X, Y, and Z. I want to be able to do that as well. It's like, mm, mm, hard pass, but I want to do it. And it's like, I understand, but you really got to understand like where you are at and where they're at. You're comparing your day zero or day 100 to somebody else's day 1000 or so on and so forth. And that just does not add up. And if we just took the notion of we're doing this, or all the other benefits or just for fun or to spend time with our friends or to meet new friends. There's just so many other things that I experience via running races that um, just overshadows that I'm in the back and like there's not many people cheering for me and things of that sort that just overshadows all that stuff. And if we can get more people to understand that, of these benefits, I think the running industry of what we know it as today will be able to stick around. If not, what's going to happen is that millennials and Gen X is going to get old. We're going to retire out of running. And then Gen Z's, which everybody is talking about these days, don't really care about nothing. They were like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not accessible. That's not friendly. Why would I want to do that? And then you're going to see a lot of races go out of business because if they can't keep up with the times, 
um, they're going to get left behind. I also think it feeds into one of the things you talked about in your book is, you know, I think a very human way of feeling, thinking about things. This is very black and white thinking about success and failure. You know, on either if I'm not doing it perfectly, I'm not doing the way I'm supposed to be doing it. I'm not succeeding. I'm failing. And that when we are told that success equals getting faster and that's like the, oh, oh, you know, how long have you been running? Like, oh, have you gotten faster? Like the implicit assumption is that when one has been running for a while, one should be getting faster all the time and that's always going to be your goal. And that if that's not something that you are one striving for or two experiencing, um, then that's that kind of like, oh, well, if I'm not succeeding, that I'm failing instead of just being like, hey, you're running because running is awesome. And there doesn't have to be anything else associated with that. Yeah. And also in my book, I, one of the things I also, I also talk about is the whole notion of just taking a neutral stand. Right. You know, everything's not all positive. Everything's not all negative. Um, how can you stay more in that, that neutral stance? Um there was a little parable that um, my granddad used to tell me, and I'm probably going to screw it up, but it was something like, you know, um, there was this man on a, on, a, on, a, on a farm and like a bunch of stuff ha- bad happened to him. And every time something happened to him, he was like, oh, we'll just see. Like, it's neither good, neither bad. We'll just see. And I think for a lot of people, if we just took that stance of like, oh, it's neither good or bad, we'll just see what happens. Um, we'll just be in a better place. Because if you're not, I'll put it like this, and I'll, I'll keep saying it. If you're not a professional athlete, um, if you're not Elliot and trying to break records and, and run for prize money in the scheme of things and in the scheme of running, none of the sh- stuff should even matter to you. <laughs> Period. If you are not an elite runner who make their living off of running races and like prize money uh, really depends, like your, the prize money that you win depends on like how you eat and, and how you make a living. If that's not you, this stuff shouldn't matter. We're all doing it for fun. We're all doing it for a medal that really don't mean anything. <laughs> like For real. We're all doing it for a participation trophy. We're all getting the same participation tra- trophy. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that you ran, um, you know, faster than me or you got to the, the finish line faster than me or slower than me? We're, we're all getting the same participation trophy. I don't know. That is so, I, that's the first time I've ever thought of it that way. I'm like, yeah, I essentially have a bunch of participation. I'm like, congratulations. Like, you you did it. You didn't win. Congratulations, you did it. Here's a medal. Here's a medal. You came in 4,091. Congratulations. Um, it is fun. And it, it, it's supposed to be for fun, right? That's why we do it. Yes. And I think, I think we take it, I mean, I think we take it so seriously. Um, because it is such a meaningful thing for a lot of people. A lot of people who I work with, you know, talk about running in a way, and I, I experience this myself. Like, I feel like it's a it's an important part of how I uh, manage my mental health, and it feel like running has taught me how to become a better person. Like, it is, it can be this wonderful, big, amazing thing that is also technically still a sport and a hobby. And we run the risk, I think, sometimes of, turning something that should be 
this like weird, fun, joyous hobby, even if you take it really seriously into something that you are putting a whole bunch of meaning into when it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. Folks, how many participation trophies don't mean nothing? It don't mean that you're a good or a bad person. How many uh, Boston jackets you got doesn't make you a good or a bad person. In the scheme of stuff like that, that stuff don't matter. It doesn't mean anything. And we're all paying to participate in this thing. So if we're all paying to participate in this thing where we're going to get uh, a medal or trophy that don't mean anything, and hopefully a banana, some type of juice, like shouldn't we all just be thinking about it in a different way of like, just good job. Like you did it. You set out your goal to do something. You did it. And thinking of yourself as just loving yourself a little bit better each day. Period. I said something a while back to the effect of like your pace doesn't, is not your worth. Like your pace does not define your worth as a human being. And somebody DM'd me and said, well, actually, if you're an African runner who's trying to run professionally, your worth is defined by your pace. And I was like, block. People are not commodities, <laughs> right? Like that's a whole separate issue, right? I don't, nobody's worth is defined by how fast they run. Because. And if you like to run fast and you can run fast, do it. That's awesome. But again, not, not defining your worth moral or otherwise, as a person. So, Liz, I always, when people talk about pacing, I always put this thing out there. What's more inspiring to you, right? Somebody who can run a distance, let's say a marathon. Somebody who can run a marathon in three hours or two hours, they run it, they go home, they do what they need to do, right? Or someone who runs that same distance and they're out there for seven, eight hours. They're on their feet, fighting with the elements, whatever else is going out there for seven, eight hours. And my question to people is what's more inspiring to you? Somebody that runs it and it's like, dang, like they ran it on you, feel like they tired. Cool. Or somebody who's out there in the trenches fighting, clawing, to make it to the finish line and they do it in seven hours plus. And then when people think about it that way, it's like, wow, yeah. Well, let me think about that more because it's about like who's struggling the most, right? Like I understand professional athletes. I, I, I get that. And I think this is the weird thing about the running industry is that we run the same courses or we be a part of like the same course or the same hoopla as the other professional athletes. So then we can kind of like transform our head that we're, we're, we're pseudo a professional athlete as well, even though we're not. Um, I can't think of any other sport that does that. Like basketball, nope, you're not getting on the court and playing, playing, uh, playing on another court the same as LeBron. Football, nope. Baseball, nope. But running is the only sport that I can really think of. Maybe even cycling as well. But I I don't know much about cycling. But like running is the only sport that I can know of that you can run on the same course as the professionals, and then in people's head and in their minds, they're like, "Well, like I'm a professional too. Like 
Meb going to be out there. Why shouldn't I be out there? Elliot going to be out there. Like, like shit. I'm good as Elliot, too. Like, I'm out there. It makes me better as well. So, and I think that we really just need to understand this. Like, we're all delusional. Like, <laughs> like we're deluged. What are we doing? <laughs> but we're all delusional about this thing of, like, and, and for me, for me and like how I teach people, how I train people, I had to go back to the whole sense of like, you gotta not take this stuff so seriously. You can't take this stuff seriously because when it's all said and done, when you get your medal and you get your banana, you going back to your regular life, whatever that may be. And that's, and, and that's the thing. And, and I think for a lot of people, we just have to bring them down to like, let them know that even for elitist athletes, like, and I get it. Like, some of them got chips on their shoulder. I get it. Like, yeah, you know, you BQ, you know, um, you made it to Olympic trials, but you never was good enough to 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 get past the Olympic trials. And, like, now you just got this proverbial chip on your shoulder and you just feel like anybody who's slower than you don't matter because you're slower than somebody else. So then you got to make somebody else feel worse about themselves because you feel bad about yourself because you wasn't able to compete at the highest level. So then you got to create this caste system to make other, other people feel bad because you feel bad about yourself that you can make it to the next level. Damn. How messed up is the system running is weird and crazy that way. And it's really t- strange too. And like, I think you find, and it's not just, I mean, I will say this runners of all paces, by and large, I have found that the running community is, inclusive, kind, helpful, but there is a faction, and I have also found this faction to exist at all spectrums, at all all along the pace spectrum as well, of that kind of gatekeeping. And for me, that's just insecurity. Like my, you know, if you are going to gatekeep me about me being faster or slower or judging me for wherever I am in relation to you, that has nothing to do with me. And that has everything to do with the judger. <laughs> so let's talk about gatekeeping. I'm not trying to harp on this race. Like I, I enjoyed the race I ran, but like Boston, right? So I ran Boston. I ran the fall of Boston. And when I announced on social media that I was running the race, you know, you had a, a whole bunch of things. You had people like congratulations for um, like being a BQ, yada, yada, yada. And you had other people that's like, um, how did you get in Boston? And like asked me 21 questions. And I think both of the people just made assumptions because like, A, I didn't BQ. Like I was just uh, Adidas athlete at the time. And they was like, hey, you want a bib? And oh, Adidas I'm sorry. Sponsor. You were just signed Boston? to a professional contract with a major <laughs> sportswear company? That's how you got in? Oh, okay. <laughs> like that's accessible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, well, you know. I was just fortunate enough to to have this partnership with Adidas, and like they was like, "Hey, you wanna you wanna run Boston?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I took my I'm I'm gonna take that thing because most people don't understand or like they, this whole connotation of like there's only way to get the only there's only one way to to get in Boston that counts, and that is to BQ. That's the only way to get in Boston, and it counts. You run it, raising money for charity doesn't count." You buying uh, a bid for marathon tours don't count. 
you getting it from a, a, a sponsor or a charity sponsor don't count. The only thing that counts is if you be cute or not. And when people, and when you tell people about, hey, I'm running Boston, I'm running Boston, the only thing they want to hear is, did you qualify? Did you run another race to qualify for those times to get there? And if you didn't, you're still less than a runner. And your, your experience at Boston don't count because you didn't do it the quote unquote right way of doing it. That's gatekeeping. That's gatekeeping in itself right there. And it's like, ah, you can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, it's a world major. Yes, if I get the opportunity, I don't care how I got the opportunity to get it. If I got the opportunity to run Boston, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have fun. I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to do what I need to do. And why does it matter to you? But then you got other people. It's like, ah, like you're just a waste of a bib. Like there's so many people who worked hard and tried hard to become a BQ and they didn't get it because of your bib. And it's like, no. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> and B, mind your business. <laughs> but like that's gatekeeping. And the gatekeeping part of it is that we want, I want to make sure I feel better than you because of, you know, these arbitrary things that we put out there. It's this, And I get it. It's like, this, but it's this feeling of like, well, he didn't BQ. Therefore, the way he got in may have taken something away from me personally is a really weird way to think about it, right? It's not, it is. It's not like you walked up to somebody and snatched the bib out of their hand and said, just kidding, you're no longer going to Boston. <laughs> it's weird. And that's the thing about this running industry that just grinds my gears. Um, my friend Latoya, uh, I am El Shante on Instagram. Same thing. Like she, uh, ended up working with, I think Amazon was the sponsor as well. So like she ended up working with Amazon and like Amazon gave her a bill. She starts to run the race. It, um, Latoya has like endometriosis. So you never know when this stuff is going to flare up. Day of the race. Boom. Endo flare up. So I remember talking to Latoya and she's like, I am in pain. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but, like, this is Boston, so I'm going to go on the course. And she documents that, like, hey, run the course, yada, yada, yada. And then eventually, like, the, the flare-up just gets so bad that she's like, I can't run anymore. Cool. Steps to the side, get on the sack wagon, go home, and, like, tend to her, 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 her medical issues. And then people are like, what a waste of a bib. And it's like, if it was a elite athlete that's like, oh, this is not my race. I'm just going to stop. You clapping them. We get it. Good job. You you understood that this, this race wasn't going to be for you. And you, you stopped because you had another race to go to. But when somebody else do it, when, and when you seem to deem that person unworthy, it's like, ah, ah, shame. You got this opportunity. You took it for somebody else. That could have been my bib. Shame. It's like, it, it doesn't work that way. So it is, I think the thing about running um, that I really find interesting is that it is a lot of um, older white men that's like trying to gatekeep this sport. 
And it's like, oh, we're going to keep running natural. We're going to keep running at its original roots. And it's like, for who original roots? And how? Like, what do you what do you consider your original roots when it comes to keeping running um, the way it is? And, you know, I just keep going back to the thing of, like, if individuals don't get up with the times, A, with... Um, I think the, 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 the sucky issue with um, world athletics being like they're banning uh, trans runners and things of that sort, I think they missed the mark. I felt like they could have um, did something that like could have changed the game. And I think that if this sport just don't act right or like act right might not even be the best word, but, but if they're not, able to keep up it's going to continue to shrink and shrink and shrink and i think that's just bad for the whole industry in itself and not to say i mean obviously you are a professional in this space and so am i that you know it it would be silly for the sport as a whole to not capitalize on how many new runners there have been coming into the sport since covid they can't tell you how most of the runners i talk to these days have a story that they either started or restarted running during COVID, right? So we have all of these runners who are new or returning to the sport, who are entering back into this space, seeing some small changes, but then are still probably running up against some of these same barriers that have been there. And of course, I think it depends on where you live, right? There are gonna be some areas of the world and of the country of the United States that are more inclusive and more opportunities, right? There are gonna be some places where it's just not changed much in 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and that it sucks. So one of the reasons that I started doing what I do was I was trying to keep new runners in the sport because I didn't want them to burn out and hurt themselves and do it for a couple months and say, ow, screw this, this sucks and like quit. I wanted to keep them in long enough where they so they could like learn the magic and find how special running could be. Um, but it's more than just injury prevention tips and like, you know, teaching them not to wear cotton. It is about allowing runner, which is like a huge one. My first run was in cotton in Florida in July. That was the worst. But it is about allowing runners of all types to participate in the sport in a way that makes them feel like they belong. Absolutely. I agree. And I think a lot of things of what I do is provide psychological safety. That's that's what I do because anybody, I won't say anybody, but like mostly anybody can learn how to run and not get injured. But I think for the particular population that I'm dealing with, um, I provide a lot of psychological safety. It's more of like, hey, I'm telling you, these things can happen. Now that you know these things can happen, what are you going to do if these things happen? And like helping them plan that through, especially when they want to like run races or just in general, right? Like this can happen. This is what I did when it happened. Let's think about how, what you can do if this thing happened. One of the things you talked about in your book, and I want to talk about the book because it is, it is excellent. One of the things you mentioned in the book talking about races and said, I don't know what page this is on, 
I hope I'm, mm-hmm. I hope I'm okay to quote directly from your book. No, <laughs> hey, quote it. Quote the book. Nobody told me these next things that I'm going to tell you, and I believe it's my duty to forewarn you since I've experienced them firsthand. If you're a slow, fat runner, I want you to be prepared. Be prepared for the race not to have shirts in your size. Be prepared not to have water at stations. Be prepared not to have race fuel. Be prepared to get lost because they took down the race signs. Be prepared to have a shitty experience. Be prepared for the race to run out of metals. Be prepared for the porta potties to run out of toilet paper. And then I think you said you attended a race once that had all those things happen to you. Yeah. I ain't going to name the race, but I remember that race. Very, very specific. But if you tell these people these things will happen, I think just by knowing that something like that can happen, something clicks your mind that then helps you out. So I remember when my mentor, um, when I was writing this book and like, you know, we were going through the process of putting this out and she said, I'm going to tell you something that nobody told me. So I'm going to tell you. And she said, be prepared for everybody you thought you was going to count on to let you down. Save yourself. And that was a hard pill to swallow. And I was like, no, nah, like that ain't that ain't true. Like I can count on these people. And she said, no, listen to me, Martinez. Be prepared. Save yourself. And that ex- that piece of advice changed the game for me. So when people did let me down that I thought I can count on, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't necessarily have the the biggest big response that I would typically have if I was like betting on them, they didn't come through. And it's like, oh man, like how could you? How dare you? Man, I was really betting on that. I was banking on you to do this stuff. Like, dang. And then you go through all of that stuff. I'm mad at you. We're not friends together no more. Like, this is done. I was betting on you. But now. I'm like, okay, I understand. Thank you. And that's the thing I just want to tell the people from the author, you know, from the individuals who read these, you know, read this book is that these things can happen. Be prepared. So once these things do happen, you're not like, ah, I'm quitting races. How dare you? I can't do this anymore. I'm never running a race again. I'm telling all my friends not to never run a race. This won't happen again. I'm going to, uh, what is it? Bet your bottom dollar. I'm closing this race down. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> but if you prepare and it happened, this is like, you know what? Martinez told me that. I'm glad I packed that little, that little, a couple wipes. So now I can use the porta potty. They ran our metal. Dang. Can y'all be able to mail me one? Okay, y'all can mail me one. All right. I'll wait the six weeks to get my metal. Okay. They ran out of water. Dang. I'm on the phone with somebody or you carry your own water, you know, by having those experiences and by telling somebody telling you these things, you can just level set your experience and your expectations. And as a coach and as somebody who's, you know, doing this for full time, all I want to do is level set and curb your enthusiasm and let you know what to really expect. Now, if it don't happen, that's cool as well, but you at least you prepare. I know you said, so the way we got connected is you said that you 
you're pitching other podcasters for to come on and talk about your book and they turned you down yes. and i thought that was terrible you don't have to name who it was but tell me what happened there <sighs> so as a fat black runner and for somebody who's has a message that doesn't necessarily focus on like weight loss or like you know get rock hard abs or washboard abs and whatever how many days for a lot of people or a lot of um brands companies or like podcasters when in their message is that they just didn't want me on so a lot of people are like hey congrats on the book but like your your thing on like promoting people to be active or somebody was like hey like you're promoting obesity like we're just not doing that. And, you know, or somebody was like, hey, we typically going to have, like, your type of people on, but um, for $3,500, we'll have you on. What? I was like, people charging for podcasts? What? Like, Dang. I'm doing this all wrong. I need to launch my podcast. Right? Start charging people $3,500 oh a God, podcast. God, we're all doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is that, I feel like my message is a message that does not roll with the typical diet industry. So for a lot of people, when they see a larger man, I'm like, Hey, I'm 300 pounds of running 300 pound man. I ran eight marathons, run all these races. And I'm just trying to teach people how to run. And it's like, but how much weight have you lost? And it's like, that's, that's not nothing that I really, I really look at. I think they just mess up their whole external foci of like, what a person of my size should be doing. And then they label me like, oh, you know, you're bad fat. So how I like to think about it is that you got good fat people and you got bad fat people. So good fat people are like the ones who are exercising and like trying to lose weight and like trying to fit within the motto of like the healthy aesthetic. And then you got the bad fat people where it's like, Screw all that healthy aesthetic stuff. I'm just going to do what's best for me at that particular time. And uh, I'm just going to do that. And then I think for a lot of people, they, they, they lump that in with like promoting or glorifying obesity versus like, oh, you're good fat. Like you're trying to lose weight. So like you're on a weight loss journey. How much weight you lost? You lost a hundred pounds. Yes. Everybody, let me introduce you to Martinez Evans. This guy lost 100 pounds, and he's going to tell you how to lose 100 pounds his way. They can sell that. They can monetize that. They can commoditize that. Oh, you lost weight? What products did you use? What are you using? Things of that sort. People can sell that. They can't sell self-love. You can't, you can't put an affiliate link on self-love. You can't put an affiliate link on you know, moving and doing the best you can with what you got. And every day, you know, you just try to love yourself a little bit better. It's every day. You can't put an affiliate link on that. But what you can put an affiliate link on is some bull ass weight loss caffeine pills. You can put an affiliate link in on that. You can put an affiliate link on protein powders and, you know, slimming belts and weight loss gloves and, nutrition plans and all that shit. You can put up a affiliate link on that and you can make money off that, but you can't make money off of self-love. And that's why they didn't want me on a podcast. 
I'm all about like finding where the logic breaks down yeah. and where the logic breaks down for me when people have this type of argument. Right. And let's say that their argument is that you're not doing the right thing because you're not trying to lose weight and you're not promoting weight loss. My my question back is then, well, would you rather that he didn't run marathons? <laughs> like, would you rather that he didn't move his body? Would you rather that he didn't exercise at all? Like, I don't understand what the right answer is here. Like you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't be somebody who is very active and taking care of themselves in the way that movement matters. Like it just, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because it's, it's about the healthy aesthetic. You know, that's the question. Do you want to have a healthy aesthetic or do you want to actually be healthy? And that's the question, you know, when I'm having these conversations with, you know, these individuals, right? Is that who's really healthy? Somebody who takes steroids to get like muscles and jacked or a plus size person who, who has normal blood pounds, right? Who's healthier? Somebody who fits within the normal range of BMI, but has a eating disorder, you know, whatever it may be. Or somebody who outwardly just looks fat, but you don't know, you don't know anything else about them. They can be fat or have fat on their body and walk three to five times a day, have a healthy relationship with food, but outwardly they just look fat. So the question is, who's healthier? And that's the thing that I I I I can only answer is that a healthy aesthetic. It's sellable. Capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> so it goes back to that. Like you can sell a healthy aesthetic. You want to look the way I look? Well, buy these things or do this thing, and you can look the you can have the hope to look the way I want to look. I learned a long time ago you can never judge somebody's especially their journey in their life, but what they can do in a race based on what they look like. Um, and I think when we get to the kind of the other end of this, of the talking about where the argument breaks down, say, okay, well, if we assume that somebody who is larger is going to be slower, the converse is that we assume somebody who's thinner is going to be faster. And I know plenty of really, really thin people who can't run a mile, <laughs> right? So we, when we, I think when we, when we really dive into the the logic that we think underpins these beliefs that we have we can start to poke holes in it and we can start to see yes. where it breaks down and why some of these things don't actually make sense even though we've been taught that they do martinez you must have bad knees because you're just so big and you're doing all this running your knees must hurt we know you're getting a knee replacement <laughs> never <laughs> hopefully never but I then had the breakdown of like, you know, running is a weight bearing exercise, right? And then like, yeah, okay, I get that. Weight bearing exercises help build strong bones. Yeah, I get that. So if I'm running, would you think I have strong bones? And then it's like the tiny explosion in their head, like, Huh. I guess you do got strong bones. <laughs> but 
but you got almost got to break it down to these folks, to like to these people, like as they're like a little kid because they're taught or they, they're given these like sound bites, and they, I, I feel like they just get them. It's like somebody told them, "Oh, running is bad for your knees." Like oh, I went for a run, my knees hurt, so running running is bad for your knees. Like you shouldn't do it, and then. I think that just became the sound bite for everybody. Like, ah, oh, running is bad for your knees. Running is bad for your knees. And then you get somebody with, uh, who actually has like a degree on exercise physiology and you'd be like, actually it's not. What do you mean? I went for a run, my knees hurt afterwards. So it gotta be bad for your knees. That's like, that's not how it works. We want things <laughs> we want works. things to be really simple. And I think, and for somebody who's listening to this conversation, they might, you know, I'm assuming there is somebody listening to our conversation who is angry at me or at you or at both of us yeah. because of what we're saying. But this is these are the kinds of conversations that it takes to really change things. It, it's going to require being uncomfortable for those of us who are part of the status quo in order to become more inclusive for all people. Yes, I completely agree. So tell me what inspired you to write the book. Um, so the main thing that helped me uh, write this book was, um, I started coaching more on a full-time basis inside the Slow Yuff Run Club and I was doing group coaching and I was doing one-on-one coaching. And one of the things that kept coming about was, Hey, Martinez, are there any running books that you can recommend? Like I I got an audible account or like, are there any books that you can recommend that can help me? learn how to run and my answer was always no um most running books are most running how-to books are written by elite athletes former elite athletes or coaches of elite athletes telling people how to run like an elite athlete that is not useful for the beginner runner or someone who is intimidated about running so, for example, um, the Jack Daniels book on running, like it's in the running industry, it's called, it's like, quote unquote, like the gold standard to like running, like RRCA uses it as their like flagship book and things of that sort when it comes to like their run, run coach certification. You know, I'm a RRCA run coach. So like I've get, gotten that book, like that's the book they like to use. So like. Everybody in the running industry uses like the Jack Daniels book on running. Like, cause it's, like I said, it's touted as the gold standard when it comes to teaching people how to run. But when it comes to like beginner runners and like, if you actually read the book, like there's, there's nothing formulas. beginner about it. First of all. <laughs> yeah. Even like, even what I would consider kind of the, the lower mm-hmm. volume and the lower training load stuff in his book is still, you're running probably at least 40 miles a week just to start. <laughs> That's not entry level. That's not beginner anything. So if we know this and we know like there's not many like running books who are actually like for the like regular everyday person, um, I just felt like there was a, a need there. Like there wasn't a book that, you know, and I have a bunch of running books, but there wasn't a book that told me, hey, you probably shouldn't wear cotton underwear while running. Like, you're going to start a forest while you're down there. Um, you know, there wasn't a running book that told me, or like this whole notion here, like I have a great example. When I started running, 
I was like, oh, yeah, like, I can lose some weight. Like, I'm going to start running. So, like, I'm just going to wake up in the morning, uh, not eat much for dinner, wake up in the morning, and just go for a run. Run for an hour, hour and a half, or whatever, however long. And then, like, I'll get dizzy, like, in the middle of the runs. And, like, one run, it got so bad that, like, I had to call my my wife and be like, hey, like, I'm on the side of the road, and I'm lightheaded. Like, come get me. And we have this conversation. It's like, you're not eating before you go for a run? And it's like, no. Like, I thought if I'm trying to lose weight and run, like, I, I should just run and not eat. Nobody told me, like, yo, like, you should have a fueling strategy. Like, nobody told me that. Um, and that frustrated me so much that I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the change that I want to see. So that's why I wrote the book. And it's incredibly practical. I mean, sometimes when you read running books and you think, sometimes you read a running book and you're like, this is fluff. This book contains <laughs> no real information. <laughs> and then sometimes I read a book and say, okay, this is like really high level stuff. Mm-hmm. Your book is so practical that anybody who is, you know, for somebody who's probably been running for a while, right? This may not be the book targeted towards them, but hey, I wish that I'd had this book when I was new. I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know not to wear cotton. I didn't know what a warm up was. I didn't know that I definitely should have been doing run walk intervals. I didn't know that I should definitely be fueling. Like these are all things that I think once we we take it for granted at a certain level that like, oh, the knowledge is just kind of there. It's it must it seems really intuitive for those of us who already know, but you don't know what you don't know. And although running is simple, it's really easy to hurt yourself or to do it wrong because we don't like teach this in school. Right. (laughs) No. No. And that's the thing, like the whole notion of too much, too soon, too fast. Nobody teaches you that until you develop Achilles tendinitis, plantar fasciitis, you know, uh, hip bursitis, any of those ascitis when it comes to overuse injuries. Nobody teaches that. And you only find out about that stuff like once you like, oh, I'm injured. I need to go to physical therapy. And the physical therapist is like, are you doing a plan? And it's like, no, I'm just running 10 miles a day. And it's like, what? When did you start running? It's like, oh, it's been about three weeks. Like, yo, you cannot run 10 miles a day at doing that. Like, your body got to have time to, like, get acclimated to it. And a lot of people just don't know that. I know I didn't know that. And um, for the individuals that I come in contact with, most of them individuals don't know the stuff that's, I would say, quote, unquote, common knowledge within running. And I can't tell you how many of the runners that I work with who live in larger bodies, who run marathons, who, even after all this time, seek advice from their doctor on an unrelated issue and are told to stop running or to lose weight if they're to continue running. Yes. As we are seeing with all the runners in larger bodies who exist and run marathons and ultra marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks and everything in between, yes, you can be of any size and be a runner. Yes, absolutely. Well, Martinez, thank you so much for your time today. The book is The Slow AF Run Club. It is out at the beginning of June. You're listening to this episode. The book is available, so you can go ahead and buy it. Is there anything else that you want the running community to know before we go? I would just say, love yourself, beloved. We're all just trying to run a race, get our medals, and go home. Amen. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.